Michael Orr was one of uh, 12 children um, born to a, a mum who very stra- sadly struggled uh, for decades with a drug addiction and a father who disappeared. Um, and so, perhaps unsurprisingly, by his late teenage years, um, Michael was going nowhere pretty fast, um, just about hanging on at school, um, in and out of homelessness, um, sometimes kind of sofa surfing with friends and stuff like that. Ten years later, by his late 20s, Michael Earl had graduated university and won the Super Bowl, the biggest prize in American sport. A complete turnaround in his life, an incredible true life story. And so, of course, it is a Hollywood movie, um, it's The Blind Side, and there's a really good book as well. What made the difference? What, what changed his life? It wasn't money. It wasn't scholarship to a, to a great private school. He actually had one of those in his late teens when he was struggling. The gift that changed everything was the gift of love, of belonging, of a home, of a family, of a future. Michael Art was adopted by a loving family, the, the Tui family, and that is what changed everything for him. And as we come to the last part of the creed today, we're going to see that if we follow Jesus, we too have received a gift that changes everything. A gift of love, of belonging, of family, of hope. And that gift that changes everything is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, And we're going to spend a bit of time thinking just about that first line, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Because I think there's a lot of confusion about who the Holy Spirit really is. And, And it starts with the fact that he has a slightly difficult name. So so when we think about God the Father, we immediately think person, right? Because every father we've ever come across is a person, right? When When we hear about God the Son, we think, oh, okay, yeah, son, I get that person. Every son we've ever come across is the person. When we hear God the Holy Spirit, we think, Ooh, mystical. Uh, some kind of impersonal force, maybe some kind of magic power. Perhaps even worse, um, the version of the creed on the wall behind me says, I believe in the Holy Ghost. Kind of spooky. That's completely wrong. Like the Father, like the Son, the Holy Spirit is a divine person. He is a he, not an it. And he is equal in divinity with the Father and the Son, the third person of the eternal trinity. At the end of Matthew's gospel, um, Jesus says to his disciples, uh, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One divine name, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And just as the Father sends the Son to save us, so the Father and the Son send the Spirit to live in us, to live in us. Have a look with me um, at Romans chapter eight, uh, the the, the reading we had. I'm gonna look at verse nine, page 1134, if you've closed your Bibles. Have a look at verse nine. Paul writes, you however are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of God, they do not belong to Christ. To flip that last bit over, If anyone belongs to Christ, 
They have the Spirit of God. If anyone belongs to Christ, the Spirit lives in them. He is not some spiritual power or impersonal force that you could have more or less of. He's true God. And if you're sitting here this afternoon and you belong to Christ, he lives in you. When God gives the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's giving us himself. Not a bit of extra energy, not a bit of extra power, a bit of extra strength so we can be slightly better or do slightly more. He's given us himself. His personal presence with us, in us. And I think we miss that sometimes because in normal life, when we say that someone is with us in spirit, we kind of mean that they're not actually with us in some sense, in some sense that really matters. And so when we hear that God is with us by his spirit, we think that means that God is sort of, kind of, maybe not really here. But the Holy Spirit is true God. And he is with us in this place right now. No less truly than any individual one of us is here. The Holy Spirit is here. God is here. And not just as we gather. If we belong to Christ, the Spirit of Christ lives in us. He is with us every moment, in us every moment, praying, sleeping, laughing, weeping. God with us, in us. And that is what we need. So we seek to, to walk in a, in a, through the, this world full of troubles and cares. That is what we need more than anything else, to have God with us. I've been a dad now for coming up to three years, and you realise that actually, you know, Miriam and Joshua, my children, the thing they need most of all is God. That's true for every human being. But they also really need me. M- more than the things that I might give them. It's not that the giving them things is, is bad. I need to, we need to feed them. We need to clothe them. We need to house them. The toys are good things. Books are good things. But if Miriam falls over and hurts herself, it is good to give her pl- a plaster, but that is far from what she really needs. What she really needs is me, or to be honest, mummy, at the point where she falls over. She needs a hug. She's the personal presence of someone who loves her. Uh, for, for Josh, the, the, what, what will really make Josh smile is not a new toy, but someone to play with, me. For him to be able to see in my eyes that I'm smiling and we're playing together. It's me. And the thing is, I am a finite, limited, sinful, selfish human being. And so I cannot and do not give my children all of me all of the time. But God is infinite and perfectly good. And so he does exactly that. He gives every one of his children all of himself all the time through the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the gift that changes everything. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. But but why does God give us his spirit. What's God's purpose in giving us this great gift? It's to make us into a holy people. 
to make us into a holy people. That's the focus of the next few lines of the creed. Um, we're going to have the creed up again, and I, I want you to have a look at it um, and think, is there anything that strikes you as surprising or odd about the order of the next few clauses? As, you, as we keep going, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. Is there anything that, that seems surprising about the order that those ones come in? How, how, what would you expect to happen next? Because if you think like me, that next bit seems, feels backwards to me. I expect it to go, Holy Spirit, forgiveness of sins, because that that's, seems to me to be the foundation of, you know, it's, it's about me and God's forgiving me, and then excellently, he's going to go build on top of that the communion of saints, me and other people, and the Holy Catholic Church, me and everybody else across time and space, right? That's the way it should flow. If you're a modern Western individualist, that's how it should flow, that is. I, I feel that way, and if you feel the same, it's because we've been trained by a world that says the most fundamental thing that matters most is me. Individual people, and all the extra stuff is kind of fluff. But the creed won't have it, and the creed won't have it because the creed's biblical and the Bible won't have it. <laughs> That's not how the Bible sees the world. God's uh, purpose is not to save individuals, but to form for himself one new humanity, Ephesians 2. And when we confess that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're saying that's exactly what God is up to. That over the past 2,000 years, across space, across time, God has been uniting together one church, one universal people of God, the one bride of Christ. Christ is not a bigamist. If the end of of, of history is Christ marrying his church, there is one church. There is one body of Christ. A profound unity across extraordinary difference, across people of all different eras, all different ethnicities, all different backgrounds, all different languages, all different tribes, all of it, united to Christ and therefore to each other as the one holy Catholic Church, the greatest movement in human history, God's purpose for his world. And we can be part of it. And that, that, is, that is so much better, so much better than anything we'd come up with on our, on our own. When we, when we buy the, the narrative of the world that says that my destiny, my goal, my purpose has to be fundamentally about me and becoming who I want to be, we're just missing out. We really are. We're like, we're like, the kid, we're like a kid who says, I'm just going to keep practicing my keepy-uppies in the corner when they could be playing for Arsenal. We're like a kid who says, I'm going to keep singing on my own in my bedroom. When someone said, do you want to come and sing in a choir at the Royal Albert Hall? It's craziness. God's purpose is, is not to save you. Our ultimate purpose is not to save you and me, as wonderful as that is. He's doing something so much bigger and so much better. He's forming this beautiful tapestry that is the church, the, the one holy Catholic church across time and space. To display his glory and wisdom to the cosmos. And if that all sounds all a bit high and fancy, well, it gets real as we live out the communion of saints, the shared life of Christians together, the nitty gritty of being a community, a family, a people together, praying for one another, making coffee, being a shoulder to cry on, going to Inspire Group when you're tired and you can't be bothered. 
Loving people who you find it hard to love. That's what makes this real. That's the communion of saints. And that's how we get to this joy. The joy of being part of God's eternal purpose for humanity comes through the hard work of loving and serving real people. You can't really love an idea. You have to love the people in front of you in the building and the congregation and the family and the church that God's put you in. That's what it means to be part of, when we say we believe in in the Holy Catholic Church, we believe in the community of saints. It means to commit, to give, to serve, to pour ourselves out for one another. It's glorious. It really is. Now, how do we get in? How do we become part of this? Well, that's, that's where it's heading. Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins. That's, that's entry <laughs> to be forgiven your sins. And the good news is that means you don't have to be holy to join the Holy Catholic Church. You just have to acknowledge you're not holy. You're a mess. You need God. You've ignored him. You've hurt him. You've hurt others. You've messed up. And you say, God, I am sorry. I trust in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection in my place. And God will pour out his Holy Spirit upon you. Wash you clean. Give you new life. Give give you himself. Give you a family. Give you a people. Give you a purpose. Give you a hope. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing, making us into a holy people. That's the gift that changes everything. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit in the present to make us into a holy people. What about the future? As we come to the very end of the creed, the Holy Spirit guarantees us eternal life. The Holy Spirit guarantees us eternal life. And the creed is crystal clear that when we talk about eternal life here, we are not talking about disembodied soul, angel-like things on clouds listening to harp music forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, we believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe in the resurrection of the body. Come with me back to Romans 8. um, And I'm going to start reading this time from verse 10. Next verse. Here we are. Romans 8, verse 10. Once I find it. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. If we belong to Christ... If we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we can be absolutely sure that one day we will share in the reality of the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus. And to some extent, we don't know what that will be like. (laughs) Paul says it's like an acorn into a tree. So, but... But if we look at the resurrected Jesus, that's a good place to start. If we look at Jesus after his resurrection, what do we see? We see that Jesus has a body that is recognisably Jesus. People see him and recognise him. It's a body that can be touched. He's no ghost. It's a body that can eat fish. 
and it stays eaten. But his body is perfect, ageless, immortal, glorious. That is what lies before each one of us. If we belong to Christ, if we have the Spirit living in us. Um, now, we don't have time to explore this in depth. I'd, I'd love to chat more afterwards. But I think that once we grasp this hope of the resurrection of the body, that doesn't just change the way we think about our future, but it actually transforms the way we see our bodies in the present. Because um, our culture has drunk deeply from the well of Greek philosophy. And one of, the, one of the extents to which that well is poisoned is that it gives you this idea that the body is a prison from the, for the soul, a prison house of the soul, that, the, that, that, that what we should be hoping for ultimately is to escape the body, that there's, there's a me that can be separated from my body, a real me, a true me, that, isn't, that is a kind of a soul or a thinking thing that isn't my body, and that would be better off without my body in some way. And so more recently, you get the idea that that means that the, the true, real me thing could be in the wrong body. And particularly the, the, a body of the wrong sex, right? But the Bible and hence the creed says that's entirely the wrong way to think about our bodies. We don't so much have a body as something external to ourselves Rather, we, we are our bodies, body and soul united together. Our bodies are not prisons, they're gifts. An essential part of what it means for God to give us our existence, our life, our being, now and forever. And so as Christians, we're, we're not to, to hope for escape from our bodies, or to try and manipulate or change our bodies, but to long for the resurrection, the redemption of our bodies. But the Christian hope of everlasting life isn't limited to the resurrection of the body. As Paul goes on to explain in, in Romans chapter 8, uh, the resurrection of the body is the centerpiece of the, the renewal of all things when Jesus returns. Um, in, in Romans 8, um, verse 19, Paul writes, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Verse 21, The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And so when Jesus returns, it won't just be human beings that are made new, but all things. The whole creation brought to perfection through the power of the Holy Spirit. All that is glorious, all that is wonderful, all that is beautiful, all that is magnificent, transformed into a new and unimaginable glory. And all that is wrong, burned away. No more mourning, no more crying, no more sadness, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That is our hope. Perfect resurrection bodies in a perfectly renewed world. Do you think we'll get bored? So that as the thought of occurred to you. You think, okay, so perf perfect world, perfect body, it's going to be great, but eventually we're going to run out of stuff to do, right? We've seen everything, gone to Hawaii a couple of times, what, you know, what, what, whatever, right? You, you, you tick off all your things, and you're done. And then you're a bit like, oh, I'm bored now. 
See, the thing is, I think that, that if the Christian hope was just that, that we would have perfect resurrection bodies in a perfectly renewed world, actually that thought is right. That eventually you would get bored as finite humans in a finite world for an infinite amount of time. But the beating heart of the Christian hope is the stunning reality that what will make this unimaginably good is not any of that, but the presence of God, God with us in a brand new way. I will be your God and they will be my people. God will be with us. We shall see him as he is. Paul in another letter writes to say, now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Somehow, inconceivably, we will behold God directly in his infinite glory and majesty and beauty. And because his glory and beauty and majesty are infinite, we will never tire. We'll never, never reach an end of enjoying and knowing and loving our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think God's kind enough to give us a taste of this in human relationships. Think about a really good friend or a sibling, or if you're married, a spouse. So I think about my, my wife. Do I know my wife a lot better than I did when we got married six and a half years ago? Yeah, yeah, I do. Am I nearer the bottom? Of bottoming, of kind of getting to the point where you think there's nothing more down there now, I just know, yeah, I've... I've no? No closer to, to kind of getting to the bottom of knowing Rose? Do I desire to get to know her better as much as I did six and a half years ago? Yeah. And she's a finite human being. We're talking about the infinite God here. And so Gregory of Nyssa, in this phrase, says that in the new creation, the human desires will stretch out with the infinite that our hearts and minds will be stretched by the presence of the glorious and infinite God. And so when it comes to knowing and enjoying and being with the God who we're made for, we will be perfectly fulfilled and we will be, and we'll never be finished. be deeper beauty forever and ever and ever and ever and this life everlasting will be a life of everlasting happiness in the presence of our infinite God and so the Holy Spirit really does change everything he really is the gift that changes everything because in giving us the Holy Spirit God gives us himself we're somehow wonderfully, even now, on the inside of the greatest joy and glory and mystery that we could ever imagine, the truth of the universe, who God is. He says, yeah, I'm with you, I'm in you, you're in. The Holy Spirit makes us into a holy people, gives us to be part of the plan and purpose of all life, all that exists, the forming of the people, of God, for the glory of God. 
And the Holy Spirit guarantees us eternal life, gives us a sure and certain hope that we will share in the unending joy of our God. The Father loving the Son in the unity of the Spirit now and forever. And so there's, there's always lots to do in our lives. But ultimately, if that's where we're heading, to behold God, to know him, to enjoy him, to taste and see that he is good in a way that we can best, scarcely start to imagine, then let's start now. Let's pursue him, communion with him, praying to him, hearing him, speak through his word that we might know him and love him. Think of all that we've seen over the last three weeks of who he is, Father, Creator, Son, Saviour, Spirit, Redeemer, Rescuer, Perfector. We're going to spend um, a few moments uh, in quiet reflection and prayer now. Um, Mark will come up to to end that, but to get us started, I want to uh, read a prayer from Anselm, the 11th century Archbishop of Canterbury. So let me pray, and then we'll have some time of silence. Until then, let my mind meditate on that joy. Let my tongue speak of it. Let my heart love it. Let my mouth preach it. Let my soul hunger for it. Let my flesh thirst for it. My whole being desire it. Until I enter into the joy of the Lord who is God, three in one. Blessed forever. Amen.